Welcome to the New Life Philly podcast. Every week, we share fresh insights as we explore the inexhaustible depths of the Word of God. We pray that you will be encouraged and challenged today as we continue in our study. Let's join in now. Good morning, everyone. It's good to be with you again here in the pulpit. Just give me one second. Today, we are going to talk about, I'm just a little bit live. Today, we're going to talk about satisfaction. So if you do a Google search for satisfaction, what do you think is the number one thing that appears? The Rolling Stones. What do you think, Bob? All right. You think we should do this? Satisfaction. I can get no satisfaction. Well, I try, and I try, and I try, and I try. I can't get no. I can't get no. There you go. There you go. Well, hey, hey, hey. Well, hey, hey, hey. That's what I say. Why is it so hard to find satisfaction? I don't know, but it is. I think the Rolling Stones had it correct. Um, I have a, do we, are we ready to roll on that? Um, are we good to go? Can we Watch turn this. the AC up? I'm dying, dying, dying. Did you feel it? Did you feel it? Can you feel that? Can you feel that? Jeff, eat a Snickers, please. Every time you get hungry, turn them to eat a Snickers. Better, 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 better. Well, you can't get me out of the back of my seat. You're not you when I'm you. Snickers, Snickers, Snickers. Can we turn the AC up? In case you don't know, that in the back, that's Aretha Franklin. She is the queen of soul. She is, by the way, the original diva. When they use that term, they first use it about Aretha Franklin, the queen of soul. Uh, again, there's a movie right out now called Respect. It's all about her life. Why is it so hard to get satisfaction? We're not at our best when we're hungry. That is true. We're going to see that's true for the disciples today. Snickers satisfies. Does it really? Does it really? Advertisers know. They know how to get your attention. They make a lot of money because they understand your needs. They understand how powerful the need for hunger is. They know how powerful satisfaction is. And they're not just talking about physical hunger. They're talking about emotional hunger. They're talking about, should I say, spiritual hunger. It, but it's all for them It's about the coin. It's about the dinero. Because they know the power of hunger and satisfaction. The only problem is, what are they giving you that satisfies? Why is it so hard to be satisfied? Well, for Christians, we know the easy answer because there's a hole in our soul that unless Jesus fills it, we will never be satisfied. Now, that's the easy answer. The hard part is Jesus satisfies it in a way that none of us really like. 
He doesn't give us those momentary pleasures like a Snickers bar, that quick sugar rush. He gives us something more sustaining, but we don't always like the way he does it. Amen? So let's pray as we turn our hearts towards March 6th. Let's pray for a second. Lord, we want to be satisfied, not with things like Snickers bars or rock and roll songs. We want to be satisfied in your presence. So I ask, Lord God, that you would unleash your Holy Spirit into this room into our hearts. May we be people who have ears that can hear. May we have, be a people that hearts can perceive your word this day. Fill us, Lord, and speak to us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll, we're in Mark chapter 6. Please stand with me. We will read the whole section together, verses 30 through 44. This is the word of the Lord. Share, uh, read this with me. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day. So his disciples said to him, this is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages, and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to all the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. We continue to be in the first section of the book of Mark, which goes from chapters 1 to chapter 7. And in this, there's a constant kind of theme. Mark is asking the question, who is Jesus? And he's showing us all the various responses of the people to that basic question. Now, we know as Christians that Jesus is the Messiah, and that's the whole point that Mark is making. Jesus is our Messiah. And I love this whole section because it's bursting with so much imagery. The desert and remote place, the green grass, which reminds us of the shepherd, the Lord's Supper, the Messianic banquet, manna in the wilderness, the prophet Elijah, Elisha. And you're saying, well, where, where is that all in this scripture? 
Well, Mark is only hinting at it. You would have to read the Old Testament and be familiar with it and read it for a while, which I encourage. Read your scriptures over and over and over again. The more you do, the more you understand how so often the writers of the scripture are just hinting at things. And we'll talk about this more later on in the sermon. But it's so wonderful. And as I read this scripture and hear you read it, two words leap off the page to me. The first is compassion. And the second is satisfaction. The compassion of Jesus and the satisfaction of his people. My main idea for this sermon today is that the compassion of Jesus Our Messiah satisfies our deepest needs. The compassion of Jesus, our Messiah, satisfies our deepest needs. I'm going to talk mainly about four needs that the Scripture refers to. Our need for purpose, our need for desolate places, our need for good leadership, and our need for satisfying meals. Verse 30, our need for purpose. It says the disciples come back, And report to Jesus. Remember, Jesus had already sent them out going two by two. And they went out to the towns and they preached the good news that the kingdom of God is in their midst. And they come back and they report to Jesus. And that's all that Mark says. Because Mark is all about being concise with his words. So they report back to Jesus. But remember when Jesus says he called the fishermen out of the boat, his disciples, and said, come with me. And I will make you fishers, fisher of men. And he can see that they're tired from their journey. And they're so tired and people are gathering around. So they may have, they must have had some measure of success. The crowds were already gathering with Jesus, but now they're even bigger. And it says they're so busy, they can't even get a bite to eat. Jesus sees the demands that this work places on their lives. It reminds us of the demands on our lives, the demands of our jobs, our family life, our friendships, and yes, our ministry. These demands are real, and Jesus sees it. And you don't have to be a full-time pastor like me to be about being fishers of men and women. Amen? Amen. This is not just for the full-time pastors. This is for all of us as we go out as ministers of the gospel. So here is the basic question. What are you investing in? And does it have eternal purpose? Not just the people that you share the gospel with, but what about your jobs? What about your friendships? What about your family? Are you investing in things that have eternal purpose? Or are you just eating Snickers bars? The quick sugar rush and then no satisfaction. What are we investing ourselves in? We have a lot of jobs. We have our families. We have all kinds of friendships. But we also have the ministry of New Life Philly. Amen? We are to be a people like the disciples who are fishers of men and women in every aspect of everything we do. God is changing every aspect of human society for his glory. God knows our need for purpose. But he sees that the the disciples are tired, can't get a bite to eat. He knows what it's like to be distracted by the crowd and the work of the kingdom. So he knows our need for desolate places. That word, those two words, desolate places, are repeated three times in this scripture. 
you probably didn't notice it because we read the NIV. The NIV translates desolate place three different ways. It translates it as quiet place in verse 31, a solitary place in verse 32, and then the disciples say, hey, we are in a remote place, but it's all the same in the Greek. It's the words eremos topos. It literally means desert place. So whatever translation you prefer, I like desolate place because I know how much Jesus has to take me to a remote place to strip away all the distractions of my life, a desolate place, a solitary place, a quiet place. It reminds me of Hosea chapter 2 and how much God really loves the wilderness, the people of God in the wilderness for 40 years. And we think, well, that's because of their sin, and that is true. But Hosea 2 makes this point. God loves the remote places. He loves the wilderness. He says, that is where I allured Israel. That is where I spoke tenderly to her. You need desolate places. You need a quiet place in your life where you can hear the alluring invitation of your Holy Spirit, of Jesus, where he can speak tenderly to your soul. Pastor Larry, from the very beginning, said it's about emotionally healthy spirituality. And he, he's been on saying that to us over and over again, looking for a pattern of Sabbath rest in our lives. At the end, when I give the blessing after the service, Pastor Larry will do it today, but normally it's me. And what do I say when I'm done? Go home and enjoy your Sabbath rest. I do that intentionally every single week because I want you to hear the rhythm of it. I want you to go to those desolate places, to be stripped away where it's only you and Jesus Christ. God knows our need for desolate places. There's a woman named Julia Funt. That last name may sound familiar to the oldies, but goodies in the room like me. That last, her Alan Funt was her father. He created this show called Canon Camera way back when. It was kind of the original punk. It was really the original reality show. That's if you don't know who that is, you don't know that show, it's neither here nor there. That doesn't matter for the story. But some may recognize her name. Julia Funt, she's well-known, fairly well-known in business circles, in Christian circles, because she is looking, she's calling people for something that she calls white space. It's not the color white. It's not the color of your skin. It's the color on the margins of a book. We're so used to looking at the words that we miss the white spaces all around the book. And she's saying we need to pause. Maybe it's better to say we need a blank space. We need margin in our lives. We are so used to going from one thing to another thing to another thing to another thing that we never take time to pause. We never take time for white space. We never take time for margin. And this, by the way, makes it almost impossible. We need remote place. And then we see that they're going to this remote place, and the crowd already beats them to it, which is not hard to do because they're on the Sea of Galilee, and you can see for miles and miles and miles, you can see where they're going. So the crowd gets ahead of them, interrupts their white space, interrupts their blank space, interrupts the remote, quiet place. And that does happen in our lives. 
It is not all about glorifying rest. We have a lot of work to do, amen? But this is no excuse for being a workaholic. See, look, he was interrupted. Jesus was interrupted, and he allowed the interruption. No. He does, and sometimes we do. But that's not what we're like as Americans. We need to pause. We need to have some Sabbath rest. Jesus knows our need for desolate places. Jesus knows our need for good leadership. He sees the crowds. And he says, the scripture says he has compassion on them. It's a Greek word, splanknizomai. Splanknizomai. It means to have pity, deep empathy. Now he says, he looks over the crowd and he says, they look like sheep without a shepherd. And that sounds so idyllic. It reminds us of the pastoral heart of Jesus Christ. But it's not the main point of that phrase, sheep without a shepherd. Jesus is sympathetic and compassionate, but what it really means is they have no leadership. They have no specifically good leadership. It reminds me of Ezekiel chapter 34, which is an expose on bad leadership, if you want to be honest. And I'm not going to read all of this scripture. I just want to read the beginning and then the highlighted portions. Listen to this and think about what Jesus is seeing. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds. Woe to you, shepherds of Israel, who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You have not strengthened the weak. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. They became food for all the wild animals. But their shepherd is here now. And he has compassion on them because he knows the years after years after years of bad leadership, bad kings, bad priests, so much bad leadership. And he has compassion on them. And he teaches them, as a good shepherd would do. He teaches them. And Mark doesn't say anything about what he teaches. Because for Mark, it's about the one doing the teaching. It's all about the one doing the teaching. Yes, those teachings are important, and we know from other scriptures what some of those teachings were. But the point that Mark is making is the shepherd is here, and he's teaching his flock. He's giving the good news to his flock. You know, many Christians these days are listening to a podcast called called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. If you, if you haven't listened to it, I really would encourage you to listen to it. It really, like this scripture, is an expose on bad leadership. It's about the rise and fall of Mars Hill Church in Seattle. Came wildly successful and then crashed and burned. And it was all around the bad leadership of their pastor, Mark Driscoll. Wildly charismatic. An amazing preacher. Their church was on the cutting edge of technology. In fact, I think they were the first ones ever to put sermons online. Mark Driscoll was famous for being able to rally people around a vision and became hundreds and hundreds and thousands. And they did all kinds of good work. But then he became puffed up and it was all about him. And he crashed and burned. And that podcasts ask this question, who is responsible for the rise and fall of Mars Hill? 
we all are. Because celebrity status, celebrity pastor, it is built right into the DNA of American church. We want, we listen to their sermons, these celebrity pastors, we listen to their podcasts, we read their books, and there's nothing wrong with that until we elevate them to a status that they don't belong. That is the American church. From beginning to end, you can't point to me and say, here's one church doing right, because we're doing it all, in many ways, out of bad leadership. I'm not telling you that there's no godly leadership. Hopefully, you feel like Pastor Larry and I, the elders, the deacons, we're good leadership. There's so much godly leadership, but there's really bad leadership in the sense of that DNA part of looking to one person for the answers when we should be looking to the shepherd, Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. This is not about Tim Bathurst. This is not about Larry Smith. This is not about the elders. This is not about New Life Church. This is not about the American church. This is about Jesus Christ and exalting Christ as the shepherd of the sheep. He is the only one who can satisfy our needs. It's okay to listen to the podcast and read the books, as long as you're doing it with the right spirit. Spirit, let those things lead you to Jesus Christ. One more example of bad leadership. When I was in seminary, one of my professors, I'm not going to tell you his name because I like him. And I liked him as a professor, and I still like him. But there was one moment of bad leadership. I came into his his office, and I was fascinated with Christian mysticism. Christian mysticism is the idea and the philosophy that God can be experienced through things like intuition, imagination, and yes, emotions. Placing our heart before the love of God. And I was fascinated with it. It gripped my heart. And I went to him. I said, what do you think? And he said, ah, you can ignore that. It's not biblical. I'm here to tell you he was wrong. I've been in two, I've said this many times in sermons. I've been in this course in spiritual direction. I'm graduating. I'll be commissioned in October as a spiritual director. By the grace of God, I might add. Pastor Larry knows, by the grace of God. And I can tell you, honestly, I have learned just as much from the Sisters of Mercy than I did at Westminster Seminary. We need each other. We need each other. As Presbyterians, we need the Baptists, the Charismatics, the Episcopalians, the Lutherans. It goes on and on. May I say we need the Catholics. May I say we need the Eastern Orthodox Church. We need each other. I am done. I am done saying that we are the only ones who has cornered the market on truth. It's just not true. Now, I talked to my spiritual director, and when I have problems with her theology, which I do, like I'm like, Mother Mary, you've got to explain this one. This makes no sense to me. But when I have a disagreement with my sister in Christ, I say, tell me your perspective. And she tells me, she still hasn't convinced me, I still disagree with her, especially with Mother Mary in the Catholic Church. But I've, she's, she's explained it in a way that I never heard. And so it, you, we have to be more humble, people. So much of evangelicalism, so much of our tradition to reform faith, which, by the way, I am deeply grateful for. 
I enjoyed my time at Westminster Seminary, and I am deeply grateful for what I learned. But it's not all about head knowledge. It is about the emotions. God speaks to us in so many ways through his scripture. It's the reason. There is nothing wrong with reason. You need reason, but you also need your emotions. You need your intuition. God speaks to us in so many ways. We are just one of many wonderful Christian traditions. God says, you will know that I exist when they are one. When they are one. May it be so. May it be so. God knows our need for good leadership. Finally, our, God knows our need for a satisfying meal. The disciples see all these people, and they, they see this crisis brewing. There's no food. There's not going to be enough food. Jesus, can you dismiss the people so they can go into the villages and give, get some food? It's getting late, and this is a remote place. But look what Jesus does. He only heightens the crisis. He says, well, you give them some food. They're like, that would take a half a year's wages. Now, that's the new international version. If you look in the Greek and the inter, uh, uh, English Standard Version, which kind of follows the Greek a little bit more, it says it would take 200 denarii. It would take 200 denarii to feed these men. A denarii is a silver coin. It's a day's wages. It would take 200 days' wages to feed these men. Now, I don't know about you, but... I think the disciples are a little hangry at this point. I, I think they may need a Snickers bar. But I think they're hungry. I think they're tired. I think they're getting a little snarky. I like that word, snarky. They're copping some serious attitude with Jesus at this point, I think. I think they're like, come on, man. This is, it would take 200 days' wages to do this. And Jesus says, well, what do you have? What, what loaves do you have with you? Now that, remember I was saying Mark hints at things? He's hinting right now. Jesus says, well, what, how many loaves do you have? They're in a remote place. They're in a wilderness. And he's asking about loaves of bread. What does that remind you of? The manna in the wilderness. Jesus is about to provide the bread of life. He's pointing to himself. He's pointing to the food that will satisfy them. Manna in the wilderness. And then he instructs the people to lie down on green grass. That should remind you of something as well, which I'll talk about at the end of the sermon. And then he tells them to be divided into hundred, groups of hundreds and fifties. They're trying to organize the group because a miracle is about to be done and the food and the fish are about to be distributed. But that should remind you of something as well. Remember when Moses divided the Israelites into groups of thousand, a hundred, 50, 10, Jesus is saying, I'm the new Moses. I'm here. I'm here. And then this is really wonderful. Listen to these words. He took the bread. He gave thanks. He broke the bread, and he gave it to his disciples who gave it to the crowd. What does that sound like? It's hints of the Lord's Supper. And we all know the Lord's Supper is hinting at the Messianic banquet, which we will all celebrate with Jesus when we are with him in glory. Amen. Amen. And then it reminds me of Elisha. And you're like, where do you get that from? 
Well, listen to 2 Kings 4, verses 42 through 44. I don't have it on the screen. I'll read it to you. It says, A man came from Baal, Shalisha, bringing the man of God, which is Elisha, 20 loaves of barley bread baked from the first ripe grain, along with some heads of new grain. And he said, Give it to the people, Elisha said. How can I set this before a hundred men, his servant asked. But Elisha answered, give it to the people to eat. For this is what the Lord says, they will eat and have some left over. Then he set it before them, and they ate and had some left over according to the word of the Lord. Elisha only fed a hundred men. Jesus feeds 5,000 men. He is the new Elisha. He is the culmination of everything in the Old Testament. He is the fulfillment of it all. That's why you read the Old Testament. You're like, it doesn't make sense to me. If the scriptures never make sense to you, come talk to us. We'll help you figure it out. It can be very difficult to understand. It's a completely different culture. Thousands of years ago, I get it. I get it. But the more you read it, the more it sinks in, the more you see these things. And the people eat the bread. These men, these 5,000 men, eat the bread, and they are satisfied. The Greek word is hortazo. It means to eat one's fill. It means to belly right up to the table and eat as much as you want. We would eat a good meal at my home, and my father would always, he would grab his belly, and he would always say, I'm serenified. Any more would be superfluidity. If you know what superfluidity was, it makes no sense. But it gets the point across. I'm serenified. I'm, I'm satisfied in the deep places, in the deep places of my life. It's kind of like going to Taco Bell and getting one of those new crispy chicken sandwich tacos, which I hear from Greg, snow can change your life. (laughs) Now we all know if you've been to Taco Bell, it's satisfying for about 15 minutes, and then it's downhill from there on out. Yeah, Taco Bell can change your life. It can change your next morning, too, if you know what I mean. Like the advertiser, Mark, the gospel writer, Mark, he, he is pointing to a deeper satisfaction than just having a physical meal. He is saying the bread of life is in your presence, people. And he satisfies. Like a good meal, he satisfies in the deep places. Jesus, our Messiah, satisfies our deepest needs. He brings shalom. He brings peace to our broken lives, a sense of wholeness. Our vision for this church is to be a thriving family in the city. Now get this, where the broken from all nations are made alive and whole, finding hope and purpose in Jesus Christ. Right there it is, to become whole in Jesus and all the broken parts of our sinful life. Jesus puts them back together and makes us whole. Makes us whole. You know, there's a debate among scholars. I keep saying 5,000 men. You're like, well, what about the women and children? Mark only says men. Other, Other passages that talk about this story talk about women and children. But Mark says men. 
There's, there's, added, there's this idea among biblical scholars that what may have been happening at one point is that a group of men were trying to seize Jesus and force him into leadership to be their king in revolt against the Roman Empire. And I'm not going to go into all the details of why that could be true. Remember that sheep without a shepherd phrase? More than anything in the Old Testament, that's used for the fact that they don't have proper military leaders. So there are all kinds of reasons. And maybe Mark is hinting at this. We simply don't know. And we really don't have to debate it. We don't know. But it's a possibility. They left the women and children at home, and they went to start a revolt against the Roman Empire. Now, we know whether or not this was the case. We know they did try to do that. Mark, when he tells, I mean, John, when he tells this story, he says they tried to force him into that leadership role as king. And he quickly dispersed. He does the same thing in Mark. Jesus says, I have not come to be that kind of shepherd. I have not come to be your military leader. I have become to be your good shepherd. Green grass. He makes him lie down in the green grass. What does that sound like? Psalm 23. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. You know, remember the beginning of Psalm 23? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I shall not be in need. I shall not be in want because Jesus, my Messiah, has satisfied all of my deepest needs. Jesus has compassion on us, and we are satisfied. Are you satisfied with Jesus? Are you satisfied with Jesus? Are we satisfied with Jesus? Jesus, your Messiah, understands your needs and desires to satisfy you with his presence. Advertisers, they understand your needs. They make a lot of money making these commercials that prick your needs. Then they fill that hole with all kinds of idolatry, trying to give you a Snickers bar when Jesus Christ stands before you and offers you satisfaction that is eternal. Are you satisfied, finding pleasure in your Messiah? Come to Jesus and find rest. Come to Jesus and find satisfaction for your soul. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, we are so thankful for this scripture that reminds us of our need, but reminds us, Jesus, that you are the Messiah, the Savior who satisfies our needs. And our biggest, one of our biggest needs, Lord, our biggest need is to be forgiven of our sins, and to be made whole. Thank you, Lord, that you went to that cross, the great 
shepherd of the sheep, body broken, blood spilled for us, that we may be forgiven, that we may be united to you forever, and we may find satisfaction for our souls. We long for it, Lord. Our need is great, for you are greater. We cast ourselves into your care. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope that you've been blessed today by the preaching of God's word. Join us every week for fresh insights on the New Life Philly podcast. If you would like to reach out to our church for more information, or if there's some way we can pray for you, please visit newlifephilly.net or email newlife at newlifephilly.net. May the Lord richly bless you this week.